What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. September showdown. The clock is ticking on yet another government funding deadline. We turned it to Washington veterans on the spending debate about to come our way. Republican Judd Gregg. In the end, this is going to reduce the standard of living of all Americans because at some point you're going to have to pay the piker. And Democrat Donna Edwards. I think that we're just beginning to see the results of these economic investments and they will pay back over and over again. That's just an economic fact. Investing in longevity, not the markets, ours. The health tech trends capturing dollars. Venture capital investor Abby Miller-Levy. What makes for a good investment in this space is recognizing that the population is going to double in size in terms of those age 65 and older. Plus, actually, this is what's really interesting. The market's trying to shake off an August slump and a recession signal. Once you start uninverting the inversion, then your goose is cooked and the Zuck-Musk cage match that may never be. The latest and all the name-calling. Chicken! <laughs> it is Monday, August 14th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Kelly Evans, along with Joe Kernan this morning. Welcome back. Thank you, and um, thank you for being here. Becky and Andrew are off today. I know, but I just mean in terms of easing my, my way back into uh, this. How I is found, your transition? Uh, it's, it's good. It's, it's better. And I appreciate you, you being here. It just seems like a... A, a soft a, landing. Yeah, kind of a soft landing, which is what the, we're now expecting in the economy. Things I, got told. even better, I think. Wait, what were you gone? Two weeks? One? Three? Big fan, are you? Of, of Four? The <laughs> no, I was gone like two. It seemed like 12. It did, um, it did. No, it did. Uh, it, you need, if you feel that you can do it, where people aren't going to say, wow, who, Joe who? If you feel like you can do it, uh, you should do two because it, 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 it gets you to the Sounds point. Sounds pretty good right Gets now. you to the point where you need to be. Uh, well, you're going to have. Can I ask where you went without revealing your, you know, I don't want I can give to you a hint. following you I can around, give you a but... hint. The, the average uh uh, real heat, the heat feel was about 115 every day. Ooh. Yeah. And you weren't out west? No, that's a dry heat. No, this is a humid. Is that hot even for where you were? Like hotter than There's normal? There's a place called the Golden Isles, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. You can, you're going to have to Google it. Though, that's where you went? Yes, to get a more. What state are we talking? Georgia. Jo Georgia, the heat feel was 115? Yes. But it's wow. right next. It's, you, fly, if you can fly into Jacksonville to get there. So it's, it's basically. Why people go there in August, I don't know. Why do they? Have to, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't got a good, I don't have an answer for you. But you'll have some time off coming up, won't you? Yeah, a couple of quiet months. Uh, you know, be sure to, it might be a good time of year to go to Georgia, actually. Quite a price to pay to get, to, to get a couple of months <laughs> off. And, and it, most men think, I don't know, uh, I, I, I might rather go, but um, yeah. you've got, had some experience. <laughs> <laughs> 
First up, today on the podcast, the U.S. stock markets have had a rough start to the month of August after a strong rally in the first half of 2023. Last week, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq Composite fell 0.3 and 1.2 percent. It was the Nasdaq's first two-week losing streak of the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average did tick up slightly, 0.62 percent. Some of this uncertainty is around the state of the U.S. economy, the stability of the consumer spending power, and last week's mixed bag of inflation reports showed that price increases have certainly eased from their post-pandemic peak, yet are still above the Federal Reserve's 2% target. That magic number the central bank is eyeing to declare that the economy is on strong footing has made a soft landing after the turbulence of 2020 in a global pandemic. And the economy has avoided that nasty R-word, a recession. We've talked about this before on Squawk Pod, the bleak market indicator that traditionally indicates a recession is ahead. The inverted yield curve, the harbinger of economic downturns, the wonky measure of the annualized percentage return on longer-term U.S. Treasuries being below that of shorter-term bonds. A bond yield usually reflects the expectations for what interest rates, set by the Fed, will average over the life of the bond, from three-month to 30-year T-bills. The short, long inversion has a sort of mythical status on Wall Street when it comes to predicting a recession. In fact, Whenever the spread between the 10-year and the two-year bonds have inverted for at least two months, a recession has followed. But is this time different? I know two people who love to geek out on T-bills, Joe Kernan and Kelly Evans, and they'll take it from here. Actually, this is the, what's really interesting. The green that we're seeing in equities, look at what's happening with the 10 and the 30. The 10's at 416, the 30's at 426. It might not seem dramatic, but there's plenty of people who are concerned about the long end globally becoming a little untethered here. So anytime you see us going back towards recent highs, I, that's where I feel like if there was pressure exerted on equities, you know, as you move throughout the day or throughout the week, that's where it would be coming I was from. happy we weren't as inverted uh, as we were, but still inverted. I, but, I'm talking uh, about between the 10 year and the two year. Uh, not as much, not, not a point. But once you start uninverting the inversion, then like, then you're already, then your goose is cooked. Uh, what I, what struck me was that before I left, the, the permanently wrong people that we constantly have on CNBC finally were changing their the tune. And we haven't, we've made no headway. Since they finally got more bullish. You we, realize you're sitting next to, you know, T-Bill and Chill over here. I know. So. But no, we have stalled out. The minute these, these people that that Right, they it, throw in the towel and then we start They missed it from 3,600 totally. all the way up to 4,500 <laughs> totally. on the S&P. Yes. And now we're not going to get right. above 4,500. Okay. <laughs> That's so now, how you knew. Are you, when you saw them throw in the towel, did you think, well, maybe now it's time to get they, some, some of them didn't throw in the towel completely either. Yeah. They got a year-end target this year or next year of like 4,300. But they got to get above their target of, of 3,000. I mean, they do, it in, they do it in steps. They do it slowly. They take their medicine slowly, you know, trying to, to convince their, their people that, that employ them. I still have some value, even though I have no idea what I'm talking about. Goldman Sachs is out with a new call, expecting the Fed to start cutting rates sometime in the second quarter of next year. This is a, a note from Jan Hatzius his econo- and his economic team, and it predicts that the Fed will reduce rates gradually 25 basis points per quarter starting in June and stabilize them at around three to three and a quarter percent. That's roughly in line with what the futures market has been pricing in. 
And Goldman says core inflation has slowed enough to warrant one final rate hike likely to come in November, but does warn of a significant risk that rates could still hold steady if inflation uh, doesn't cool fast enough. It's a weird, it's always a weird um, dynamic that, that we, we almost were, we didn't want a recession, but we thought one was necessary to cool things off. Right. When you're not gonna get one, then you're back thinking, uh-oh, um, inflation's not gonna come down enough and we're gonna need more rate hikes. So I think that's why the market stalled out. So you know, as, it, as perverse as it is, when it seems like you're not going to have a recession, it's like, oh, the Fed's going to have more, more work to exactly. do. Exactly. You're sort of pinned. And yeah. it feels like it should be a little range bound. By the way, on this whole thing about first rate cuts, the market already has rate cuts for next year priced in. So this isn't exactly a news flash, but it's But no one believes to... it, really. Well, when Goldman comes and says, I think it, it I don't know, I, it, it, you sort of believe it more than, than maybe the market. Right. Or, or you think, OK, well, now we begin the process of hearing about it from the Fed right. and then ha them having to explain it. Are they really on board with this? The interesting thing, too, is they, you know, it, it's like the hikes only matter the way inflation is moving. So that was the John Williams thing in The New York Times where he's like, we're going to passively tighten if inflation comes down and we're not cutting rates. Right. Because they want to keep that spread the same. So it, it'll it's going to get complicated or not if, if things turn over. If the economy doesn't contract credit by itself. Then you think yeah, the Fed's got to come in and exactly. do more, more work. Exactly. In our you can't believe you'd ever really actually be talking about this seriously category. Um, the potential cage match uh, between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg appears to be off. Uh, in a post on Threads yesterday, um, like I think it was, the, there were two or three other posts on that entire uh, social media outlet, Zuckerberg said, Elon isn't serious and it's time to move on. And I think that's funny that he's kind of uh, throwing some shade at Elon for not being serious about a cage match. I mean, was he, was he getting played the entire... Who thought this but was a good idea the in the messages? first place? They were going to go to the Coliseum. Did you see the messages with, with uh, Walter? I saw that Walter said that it's still my... Uh, we're going to say that now. He, right. he said Musk wouldn't confirm a date. Then he said he needs surgery. And then he asked uh, to do a practice round in Zuckerberg's backyard instead. Zuckerberg said he's going to focus on... Uh, competing with people who take the sport seriously. So he's like a, so he does do the martial arts stuff. I don't know if Elon does. Elon is a big dude, uh, though, and Mark's not necessarily very big. I don't know what would finally happen. It's like WWE. I, don't, I never took it more seriously than WWE, which is a huge moneymaker. I mean, it, I think my bombastic Bushkin, my agent, Ari Emanuel, that's from... Uh, that's from, from the, another, I, another reference. Uh, yeah, Johnny Carson. <laughs> he had an agent, too. But... Um, I mean, they make money on this. Everybody knows it's fake. But is this going to be real? Is it, it, it was going to be a spectacle. To, it's, it's fun crazy. to think it could be real. I guess, I guess. But Musk replied on his platform, X, not U.S., not to be confused with U.S. Steel, uh, calling Zuckerberg chicken <laughs> and joking that he can't eat a Chick-fil-A because that would be cannibalism. That would be cannibalism. Zuckerberg's update uh, came after Musk biographer Walter Isaacson tweeted an image of a text message he received from Musk at 4.44 a.m. Central Time showing that Musk proposed a practice bout at Zuckerberg's house this week. And I know, I'm gonna, you don't watch movies, so I can't do any references, but in do the- Do for them for everybody else for everybody who else who actually does understand it. That is a reference to something that happened in the social network. Which when, I have seen. Which, don't you but remember when- supposedly Mark Zuckerberg fed chicken to some chickens. 
and they told that was part of when they were saying what a horrible person he was. That was actually, and, he, and, and it was the guy who eventually played uh, Spider-Man. What's his name? I don't remember his name, but he, he played one of the characters in uh -huh. there. He was eventually Spider-Man. He, I don't know, ratted out Zuckerberg that in the dorm room at Harvard, he fed a chicken chicken. And now we're actually seeing it all comes around full, full circle, circle that all was, the way back. That was such a fascinating snapshot, though. I love the Walter Isaacson tweet because, first of all, you see that Elon's in his phone book under 2022 Elon Musk new cell. Just all these little details. Then to see the interaction between Musk and Zuckerberg was fascinating because they seem friendly, and you wonder what kind Maybe of relationship. Maybe they are. You know, and then they're they're talking about like, okay, well, we could do it here, we could do it there, and. I don't know. It sounded like Musk said he'd be up for doing it today. I mean, it's really, they're both, I, I was, for people that were, were saying how horrible it was and what a, what a, you know, terrible commentary on modern society, it's like lighten up. It's like, you know, it, it probably wasn't going to, I don't know would say uncle the before. The odds were so slim that this would ever happen. That it would happen. And if it did, just, you know, lighten up. It's, I mean, you know both these guys are, are worth how much? And right. so they, and look what, what they've done, their impact on the world, each of them. So they don't need to prove anything to me at this point. Meanwhile, the only time anyone's ever even talked about threads in recent weeks is to talk about Mark <laughs> right. Zuckerberg's trolling of Musk right. on that platform. So it's like Musk is genius at always using these kind of like right. unofficial marketing tactics. And for Zuckerberg, it's like he's had some benefit, too. I, I like Musk because he's just as well. I mean, I'm nothing like him. But in terms of non-filtered, I, I filter myself. He doesn't. And if I could do that, if I, I that's no. why I respect him, because he is he owns the, the damn social media site where he can do whatever he wants. And I would like to be to able do the to same do thing. whatever I want, but I can't. I come close. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the key question that will drive Congress after the summer recess, what to spend on and what not former Democratic Congresswoman Donna Edwards. The reality is I think the American people are going to realize that investing in infrastructure, investing in our young people for their future actually really does help to stimulate the economy. And former Senator and Governor from New Hampshire, Republican Judd Gregg. The practical matter is you, when you make that type of an expenditure, you got to pay for it. You can't run a $1.6 trillion deficit for as far as the eye can see every year, every year, every year. That debate when we come back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe. Here's Mike. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site. I'm back. Kelly's here. 
to ease the pain, to ease the, uh, the, the withdrawal. Yeah. It's not withdrawal, it's re-engagement, I think. Uh, I'm good. Becky and Andrew uh, are off today. I think Andrew is back tomorrow. I don't know when uh, Becky is back, but. I think next week. Next week, but it's, uh, thank you. I, thank you. For thank you. Me. And then oil, you know, gasoline prices, we've heard about how great gasoline prices are down from, the, they're like oh. double from they were when Biden took office. So a, a lot not, of this maybe been, not double, but much higher. Well, the last six weeks all of a sudden has reversed yeah. the narrative considerably. 82, 83. Yeah. And that's what scares me. So, okay, labor issues, tight labor market, supply chain, all that stuff. But you get energy, if you get back to 90 or 100 dollars, I totally it definitely agree. totally agree. Big it risk already. Through to everything else. By the way, you want to know what would move the needle the most on that? Saudi. There's still 2 million barrels below. I was just looking at the numbers the other day trying to figure it out. And um, that's probably had the biggest impact. So, you know, politically, if Biden really wants to do something about this, if that run we're showing on that chart continues, that's where he's got to lean, yeah. is on the Saudis. Is there election coming up? Yeah, there is. A couple of great choices. <laughs> awesome country. <laughs> Lawmakers face a ticking clock when they return from recess after Labor Day. They have until September 30th to pass an appropriations bill to keep the government running. And avoid a shutdown, President Biden now seeking an additional $40 billion for emergency spending, including uh, Ukraine aid, disaster relief, and border and immigration efforts. Joining us now, former U.S. Congresswoman Donna Edwards uh, and Judd Gregg, former senator and governor uh, of New Hampshire. And, and we said we were going to talk about uh, Bidenomics, and I, I'm just still trying to get a real firm grasp of it. We understand um, Washington and how branding across the board. We all know about branding, but what exactly, what is your view of what Bidenomics is, uh, Congresswoman Edwards? How, how would you describe it? Well, I mean, I think um, the president is talking about the measures that have been in, put in place over the last two years, and those are really starting to take effect on the economy. I mean, we've seen inflation coming down. We've seen um, you know, really uh, steady growth in wages and uh, and jobs. And uh, and so I think the president is talking about, and I understand, um, the full scope of the economic measures that have been put in place. And they really are starting to kick in now in the economy. And I think Americans are beginning to um, to feel that. And certainly over the next year or so, um, with the uh, infrastructure projects that are going in place and uh, manufacturing jobs that are are being brought back to the United States, um, that the economy is starting to kick in. And I think Biden has branded that as Bidenomics, and it works for me. Judd, uh, presidents do get credit and, and blame, uh, regardless of, of whether they, uh, it's a direct result of, of, of their policies. There's probably no doubt that some of the pandemic stimulus helped the economy stay strong and, and some GDP prints, which are strong. Do you think that the, the, Chip, the CHIPS Act, the Infrastructure Act, uh, or, or IRA, has any of that actually been, has enough of it been implemented to where we're seeing the effects of that yet? Well, basically what you've got here is industrial policy on steroids, uh, where the government, uh, regulators, uh, academics, elitists who sit in the government seats, uh, pick winners and losers in the marketplace, and spend massive amounts of money on them. We're going to have a $1.6 trillion deficit this year as a result of those bills that you just described, and some other reasons, obviously, entitlement spending. But uh, essentially what you've done is you've created a situation where the government is just pouring money into those various 
groups of people and enterprises which uh, this administration sees as the beneficial, such as labor unions, such as the green movement, such as students under the student loan proposal. And in the practical effect of that is that in the long term, it undermines uh, the allocation of capital and economy because the marketplace is a much more efficient way to pick winners and losers in an economy. And thus, in the long term, it undermines the economic growth of a nation to do have to have a government that's a successor. But they call it progressivism. Uh, that's you know that's a euphemism well, that, for. Um, I'm back to the congresswoman in, in in a second, but you can spend money and, and have GDP go up, but uh, if inflation is, is as a result of that, you have inflation. Wages don't keep up with with inflation, and that. That's why Bionomics, until April or May, you couldn't even make the claim that, that people were doing better because for two years, they, were, they weren't even keeping up the wage gains with the price of inflation. And that could happen again, depending on whether inflation goes back up with, with energy prices. Well, the inflation that we got was not, in my opinion, driven primarily by Biden's economic policies. A lot of it was. But it was driven by coming out of the COVID situation. We had an explosion of economic activity and a contraction in supply uh, in, in the supply chain. Right. And plus you had the massive amount of money that was put into the system by the Fed. <laughs> the Fed takes a lot of responsibility. Someone was putting, money. Someone was putting money in and there was too, too much money for too few goods. But Congressman uh, Edwards, you, you wouldn't, I mean, people are not making more money than they were two years ago un until just recently wages started going up. I mean, inflation, you, you would concede that inflation has been a real problem for, for a lot of people in this country. Obviously, inflation has uh, taken a bite. But what we've seen over the last couple of months is, in fact, wages are going up greater than inflation. I think that's a good sign for the economy. And I, you know, pardon me, Senator Judd, but since when, since Eisenhower, we haven't described investment in infrastructure as a downer. Investment in infrastructure pays back over and over again, and our infrastructure has been falling apart. And so I think, and, and creating, creating jobs, whether the union jobs, um, by investing in infrastructure is a good thing. Uh, bringing uh, manufacturing, chips, manufa chip, chips in particular, uh, bringing that manufacturing back on shore to the United States is actually a pot is is a positive. And as much as the federal government is investing, so is the private sector investing in these industries that had gone to China, gone overseas, and those are coming back. Those not only the jobs coming back, but the manufacturing, so that we can be uh, independent in our um, in our technology uh, production is is good for the economy. Investing in electric vehicle infrastructure is good for the economy. So um, I think we're just beginning to see the results of these economic investments and they will pay back over and over again. That's just an economic fact when you invest in infrastructure. What do you think, John? Well, it's not good for the economy if you're running massive deficits. Our debt to GDP ratio now is essentially a Greek levels. In the end, this is going to reduce the standard of living of all Americans because at some point you're going to have to pay the piker. You can't you can't have thirty two trillion dollars of debt uh, when we started out with about eight trillion dollars of debt about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, you can't have one hundred and six trillion dollar deficits every year for as far as the eye can see simply to buy constituencies that you think are going to vote for you. I mean, that's what the basic line is here. You're going to give two trillion dollars to students so they don't have to pay back their debts. 
Well, they actually reached an agreement to pay their debts back. Why, why would you do that and then aggravate their future, but more importantly, the rest of the economy's future, who have to pay for those students who were supposed to pay their student debt back? Uh, yeah, sure. We, capital investment in infrastructure makes sense. I agree with this congresswoman on that. Uh, but the practical matter is you, when you make that type of an expenditure, you've got to pay for it. Uh, you got to do it within the context of a budget, which is at least somewhere near balanced. It doesn't have to be balanced. Two percent deficits we can we can we can afford. But you can't run a one point six trillion dollar deficit for as far as the eye can see every year, every year, every year. You're talking about having a debt to GDP ratio of about one hundred thirty three percent by 2030. I mean, that, that makes Greece look solvent. Uh, and, and at some point you pay you have to pay for this. And at some point the world wakes up and says, oh, They've got so much debt, they can't pay it back. So we're going to take it out on their dollar. They take it out on the dollar, and that reduces the standard of living of all Americans. Uh, you know, yeah, it gets you elected next year. But in the end, it really undermines the, the prosperity of Americans. You got a quick, uh, quick answer to that, Congresswoman. We, we got to go. Well, I mean, look, I'd, I'd like to see, obviously, us bring down the uh, deficit. I think that these investments really help in doing that because, you know, the money that Judd talks about we're spending, we actually put back into the into the economy, which is good. Students buy houses, they um, uh, spend uh, their their money. Um, that's good for the economy. And look, I think that wishful thinking is maybe that this doesn't work uh, politically and maybe it harms us. But the reality is, I think okay. the American people are going to realize that investing in infrastructure, investing in, in our, our young people for their future actually really does help to stimulate the economy. Right. Great. Congresswoman Edward Sanks, uh, Senator, Governor uh, Judd Gregg, good to have you on. Next on Squawk Pod, every 67 seconds, someone in America develops Alzheimer's. But there is new hope and new investments in aging and longevity science, and startups are catching up. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today, Kelly Evans is sitting in with Joe Kernan. Kelly kicks things off here. Alzheimer's drugs from Eli Lilly and Biogen are offering promise to the six and a half million Americans living with the disease. Here now for more on how innovation from Big Pharma is affecting venture capital flows into health tech, we bring in Abby Miller-Levy, co-founder and managing partner of Primetime uh, Partners. Abby, it's great to have you here. We brought up Alzheimer's. Is that the primary place that funds are heading? Absolutely. It's a great question. Uh, I work in the longevity sector, which is about a $2 trillion industry across everything from healthcare to financial services to housing. And within that, uh, Alzheimer's research is probably the largest funding base uh, in life sciences. 
Right, Alzheimer's. Well, and because finally it's showing a financial return. Once you can bring some drugs to market and they appear to be working, then you know I can kind of understand how it works out. A lot of other longevity things, though, connect the dots for me on on what makes for a good investment. What makes for a good investment in this space is recognizing that the population is going to double in size in terms of those age 65 and older, and within that, there becomes a whole slew of services that's required to help us age more successfully. Healthcare services, telemedicine has unlocked that in terms of all the aging in place opportunities. You have opportunities in senior living and real estate rebounding post COVID. But if you look at the drug makers, what's very interesting about the Alzheimer's drug is that actually it ha hasn't had a huge impact yet on the stock prices of the companies formulating and distributing these drugs. And that is because we are just in the early innings of proving efficacy. The most recent drug by ISAI, Japanese pharmaceutical maker, mm -hmm. shows that the efficacy is around a 27% delay in symptoms of Alzheimer's. That is also uh, inhibited by the distribution method, which is still intravenous, which requires a, a huge lift on behalf of the healthcare system. So this is really early innings of the research evolving to yeah. target the proteins causing Alzheimer's. And we will see a lot more in this sector. For no, me, in terms of investing, go ahead. No, I, I obviously want to get to your answer. I was just saying, you know, it's exciting when you see all these startups like NeuroTrack and BrainCheck and Ripple and Remo and Isaac Health. So what were you going to say, though, in terms of the investment piece? Well, that now that there is finally the availability of pharmaceuticals, it is unlocking what we need in the healthcare system. We need better diagnostics like BrainCheck and NeuroTrack. And in fact, there's a $100 million fund funded by Gates and Bezos um, and Lauder to work on new diagnostics. So we need to improve our diagnostic side of the industry. We need to improve our care management side of the industry. There's a 19% shortage in neurologists, an average wait time of 30 to 45 days. So new telemedicine care management businesses are starting to address this shortage. And then, of course, there's prevention, which uh, is really more of a consumer health care play, because most of the prevention is around delaying or removing the amyloid protein buildup in the brain, mm -hmm. which is behavioral health, such as, you know, inflammation, what you eat, sleep, et cetera. So all of those three areas are really hot topics right now in uh, healthcare VC. Yeah, although, listen, the cost of capital is higher than it once was. Venture, uh, you know, Silicon Valley, should we say, is a little bit quieter than it once was. And I was reading Michael Semblis uh, over at J.P. Morgan, his kind of um, postmortem of the IPO and, and SPAC wave of the past couple of years. And interestingly enough, the worst culprits were the biotech IPOs. Um, they mm -hmm. just they were terrible performers. So for people listening who were like, listen, I've been burned in biotech. I don't want to go that route. You mentioned a couple of other avenues here, but do you think that that you kind of have to maintain biotech exposure for that one unicorn that's going to break out and be a great investment? Or would you say go the treatment and diagnostic and some of those other routes? Well, right now, all the money is still in pharmaceuticals uh, and when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia. And that is because the average price is around $26,000 per patient per year on these drugs, uh, which right now Medicare has approved. Um, and Medicare covers 70% of patients with Alzheimer's and dementia. So I still think that biotech uh, is where the uh, opportunity to make money, but you have to have that risk profile and not be um, an uneducated uh, investor in the space. Yeah. So I still think it's 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 a good place to be. 
In terms of the other avenues, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, M&A in healthcare uh, is up 60% in terms of digital healthcare uh, this year over last year. Uh, and there are a lot of incumbents waiting on the sidelines for this huge bubble of digital health to, uh, to rationalize, frankly, uh, and, and almost run out of money so they can scoop them up. Ha, that's a great point, <laughs> kind of through the entire life cycle, so to speak, uh, of that route as well. Abby, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Great to be here. Abby Miller-Levy. Now the latest uh, on the wildfire disaster in Hawaii. Uh, the death toll reached uh, 96, and authorities warned that the effort to find and identify the dead was still in the early stages. Maui's police chief said crews with cadaver dogs had covered just 3% of the search area uh, as of yesterday. Beyond uh, comprehension, the honeymoon there and, and took our kids there. You did? Oh, yeah. And Lahaina, Longies, the, the old, I guess Longies is probably gone. The, the banyan tree, showed my kids the banyan, and the pioneer, which is right next to the, uh, the banyan tree. But it's just, it, it's, uh, you can't even, when that was happening, it was just beyond comprehension because Lahaina Town is the cutest, greatest little, it's a tourist, very touristy area. Uh, but if, you, if you're not on the other side of Maui, if you're staying either in Kanapali or Kapalua or any place like that, you're right near Lahaina, Lahaina yeah. Town. And uh, I think it's gone. I think it's gone. And it, you know, it's something historic. It literally cannot be replaced. Like they said, yep. it'll be rebuilt. It'll be brand new, which is not what it was or what, what the point was, obviously. Right. And, it, you know, they come out with these reports now saying researchers, you know, had warned about how it was prone to fire damage. But you wonder, well, how many hundreds of thousands of places across the country is that true of at any given right. point? You know, I don't know. It was, they, they were old structures and it looked, you know, they, they were charming, but they're kind of rickety looking old structures. Mm -hmm. A lot of the, um, the buildings that were right there on the, right on, very close to the, right. the water and everything else. But it's, it's one, of, one of the great sad Places. such a loss yeah. of cultural capital it's really sad please stay tuned to cnbc and cnbc.com for the latest headlines on the devastating effects of the hawaiian wildfires thanks for listening to squawk pod today we'll meet you right back here tomorrow this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do that's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.